Christ Central, today's talk is entitled Hope in His Return. Hope in His Return. Oh, how we need it today. It'll be projected. Better if you follow along in these passages of Scripture. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 and 14, then 17 and 18. And we'll jump to chapter 5, verses 9 through 11. Chapter 4, verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Verses 17 and 18. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Chapter 5, verses 9 to 11 to close. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Well, this book looks forward. It keeps having us look forward. Because what you really believe about the future affects how you live today. We underestimate it. We might neglect that. But according to the scriptures, what you and I really see and believe about the future, who you are becoming, changes how you live today. We've been studying how it changes our sexuality. It changes how we work and how we grieve. We heard that last week. But I just want to continue on grief because there's just so much to grieve. Uh, this week I received news about a friend and a sister. It really hurt me. She's been diagnosed with cancer in her lungs. It seems awful. And I don't think I'm ever going to get used to it. She's in her mid-40s. I wept when I received that news. And then of course there's just outrage and exhaustion all around because of these overt acts of racism and injustice caught on film. Now, I don't think any of us have issues with grieving when someone dies. But should the church of Jesus Christ then grieve and work against the sins of racism and injustice too? No one has issues about grieving at funerals. But should the church of Jesus Christ address, grieve, and work against racism and injustice too? Well, first, I absolutely believe so. Because the Bible itself uniquely equips us to work against how evil works. And it's multi-layered. The Bible is not simplistic. Extremely sophisticated. Evil works at least on these three levels. First, in the flesh. It's in my flesh. comes from me. I'm responsible. Sin resides in me individually from original sin. It's my fault, my guilt. Oh, but there's a second layer. Evil works through the world, meaning it's structural, it's systemic. There's such things called social sins, culturally dominant, accepted sins. I read news before our recording today that Ahmad Arbery was 
no better words to put it, but he was hunted and that was a modern lynching because those who shot him had been hurling racial slurs online and during or after the death and the murder of Arbery. A third layer of how evil works comes from the devil, yes. The devil tempts, the devil lies, the devil seeks to destroy and take away life. Should the church grieve and work against it? Why else would the Bible equip us to do so? Second, church history, church history. Church history is not too good on this. Not just the white majority American church, but the Asian American church too. Some people will say, well, the past is past. Aren't we making enough progress? Let's not pay attention to history. Just leave it there. And some will go so even far as to say, I'm just so tired of this topic. Why is everyone always talking about or tweeting or putting in a blasting social media about racism and injustice? I can understand and appreciate your fatigue. But would you please consider how much more tiring it must be for black brothers and sisters? To whom it's not just the topic, but it's something traumatic and something they still suffer today. At the 2015 Golden Globes, Tina Fey, one of the hosts, delivered this line. The movie Selma is about the American civil rights movement that totally worked. And now everything's fine. The church must address and work against racism and injustice. Third, it's because we're going to win or lose the next generation. Taylor's been asking me this week. Some of her friends are saying, is Jesus coming back sooner than later? She was a little frightened. Some friends were certain that this means Jesus is coming back real soon. She asked me about that. But then she also told me and shared that some of her friends online are saying that if you don't take up violent means, then you are really not down with Black Lives Matter. And I had to answer her. I mean, some of her friends sound just like Malcolm X when he ridiculed the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. for being like an Uncle Tom because he refused to take up nonviolent means because he followed Christ rather than just a cause. Well, I had to answer it. I'm fumbling. I'm learning. And the learning curve is steep, my friends. I am a little tired from all the kinds of things that I've been thinking for the sake of my own daughter. And here's the thing. If I don't teach her, if I don't try to answer her, if I don't disciple my own household and the church does not disciple the next generation, someone else will. Someone else will. The Bible equips us to work against how it works, evil how it works, church history. It's a very mixed bag. Nothing to brag about. Third, we win or lose the next generation. Fourth, last but not least, the prophets, the apostles, Jesus Christ himself railed. I mean, railed against racism and injustice. You know, the one time where Jesus overturned the tables in the temple, do you know what that was about? Because Jesus abhors the superiority versus the inferiority dynamic. He abhors power, completely overtaking and dominating the powerless. Rich versus poor, partiality, looking down upon based on race. And Christian people take a stand against Racism and injustice, not because it's popular or unpopular, not because it's political, not because it's opportunistic, but because God himself made every human being in his own image. Oh, the Psalms say, the Psalms say you have been fearfully and wonderfully made. 
And what would you do, my friend, if your best work of art, like a masterpiece that you put up there, someone comes and spits upon it, rips it apart, defaces it. How would you feel? This is somewhat akin to what God must be feeling. God himself grieves. He grieves that every human being made in his own image is being treated so far less. Just want to give us a couple examples of how we may avoid or fail to grieve with those who grieve. The church ought to grieve over the things that God grieves. But how do we avoid or fail to grieve with those who grieve? And I'll say this carefully. I myself as your pastor have been undergoing a lot of reflection and repenting because you asked me four or five years ago and some of these now understandings and realizations would not have been upon my heart or, or so clear. But let me say from the outset, it's really hard to repent of things that you don't grieve over first. So the first type of way we uh, excuse or fail to grieve with those who grieve is when people say black lives matter, well-intentioned as it may be, we come back and say, well, we all matter. All lives matter. Well, that's good then because we're all on the same page because you are saying at least black lives matter too, right? See, but the church of Jesus Christ, which is analogized to the very body of Jesus Christ, is supposed to be better than a club, a community organization, or some cause, or a march, or a rally. Because in the body of Jesus Christ, for instance, if I'm running through and I jam my toe against the doorway the rest of my body joins in and screams, ouch. And we all pay attention to nurse that one part that has been so hurt. The rest or the other parts of my body has never come around when my toe was jammed. They've never come around and said, but we all matter, all parts matter. A second way that I know I've heard, and it's also been in my own heart, well, I don't see color. There's only one human race. Keep the focus on Jesus, pastor. Keep the focus on Jesus. Well, let's do that. Let's keep a better, deeper focus on Jesus. Do you know that Jesus created, loves, and is coming back to take his people to worship and enjoy God in the color of your own skin? Jesus created the color of your skin, and he's going to keep it for the glory and the pleasure of God into eternity. And middle, middle Eastern brown, it will be his. Middle Eastern brown will be his. Oh, so, <laughs> into this kind of loaded mess, into this kind of polarities that we may feel that threaten to even sometimes rip us apart, even the church. Some of you are wearied, confused, overwhelmed. Some of you want to hide, numb yourself, escape it. And most of us are grieving. What does Apostle Paul do? What does he say? He says, look ahead, look ahead. Jesus is coming back. And do you know what happens when he comes back? The return of Jesus Christ will bring three things. Hope in your grief. Second, hope for your losses. And it's a hope guaranteed. First, hope in grief. Hope in grief. Paul never said, do not grieve. He just said, but grieve with hope. Hey, pastor, didn't Pastor Daniel Dinkle preach on this last week? Yes, he did. So why are you talking about it again? Because we're not good at this part. 
I avoid, I'm not good at this part. We got to stay here. I'm just saying, don't skip the grief. Do not dare try to rush or skip the grieving part. You know, the Thessalonian church, much like ours, was young, demographically and spiritually. So they were not used to grieving, but then they endured unexpected, tragic deaths, and they were under uh, severe persecution. Paul comes along and he tries to counsel and tell them, I know maybe much of your life you try to stay happy and positive and young. I know you might have thought that you can just continue to be strong, but life just does not work out that way. I remember Job, Job chapter 1 verse 20, go check it out. The mystery that God somehow allowed the devil to touch and take away all his children. All his children died. The scriptures tell us at that point he arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and he fell to the ground. He just fell to the ground. Can you picture it with me? How he must have wailed and grieved on the ground. It reminds me of a scene from Godfather Part 3, which gets a horrible rep. Because if you compare it with Part 1 and 2, yeah, it's not that good. But I don't think it was that bad. But toward the end of the movie, sorry if you haven't watched it by now, but it's been like 30 years. That's your fault. Michael Corleone, the main character who's been a mafia, mafia boss, loses his own daughter, his beloved daughter, who is accidentally shot by an assassin who came all the way from Italy to try to take Michael Corleone out. And then the look on Al Pacino's face, that's the actor who played him, the look on his face and the screaming and the wailing that comes out, you can sense how his heart finally broke. His heart finally, tragically broke. So did Job's. But here's the difference with Job. And yet he did not sin. He worshipped God as he fell to the ground in grief. And you see, it's the presence of God that is our hope in and when we grieve. And let me give us a little clue as we step forward into this about the life of Job. It dawned on me this week. Maybe the reason Job did not sin then, or maybe the reason Job did not sin later after he lost all his children was that he did grieve properly. He grieved fully. He grieved adequately. He grieved by being driven into the arms of God in worship. So you can't skip the grief. Don't skip the grief. Don't feel embarrassed or too guilty about your grief. Oh, so you see on social media, someone went out there and fed like hundreds of people at that food drive. They volunteered for days on end. And then there's first responders, doctors, nurses, police officers, firemen, paramedics, those who deliver essential, essential needs. While you barely managed to wake up this morning and you just cried in the shower. Don't feel too guilty about that grief. It's okay. It's okay. Because here's a very human and scriptural principle. If you don't grieve well to get well, you cannot help others grieving to get well either. Grieve well to get well so that you can help the grieving get well too. (laughs) My younger sister who lives in San Diego, recently wrote an article for her church for the women's ministry. And she said it wasn't until three years ago that she began to receive counseling for the waves of grief and depression that would come. 
three years ago, my sister Linda began counseling for her grief. Uh, our dad died in 92. She and I were still feeling it and paying for it now. But it is the presence of God in his arms when you worship. He gives you hope in grief. Second, hope for your losses. Hope for your losses. First, is that when Jesus returns, you and I are going to get our loved ones back. You're going to get your loved ones back. Oh, those who fell asleep in the Lord. Those who put their faith in the Lord. They're just sleeping. They will awake into perfection when we are reunited with them. Look at verse 14. When Jesus returns, God will bring with him those asleep, the dead. Look at verse 17, which we, I'll read, uh, read for us once again. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. You see, the reunion of those who are living with the dead, those who are awake with those who are asleep with one another. And there's a threefold repetition. In the Greek, in verse 17, together with... Together with, together with, you're going to get your loved ones back. There's plenty of religions and cultures that say, oh, when you die, you're going to lose your personal consciousness, your identity, and you're not going to be able to really identify one another. It's like a a drop of water going back into that infinite ocean. Your little soul becomes a part of the all one soul or the circle of life, right? Fertilizer. We're all just going to be part of that one thing. Not so. This is not the kingdom of heaven. This is not what happens when Jesus comes back. You and I will recognize one another. And I'm certain we're going to say, you've never looked better. Hope for your losses. You can get loved ones back. Second, more beautifully, you're going to get Jesus like never before. Verse 17, we will always be with the Lord. Always be with the Lord. Notice what Apostle Paul does so pastorally and tenderly here. He's not so concerned with too many doctrines or details or even the location of where this is happening. Commentators debate back and forth. Is it up there, down here, sideways? They're not quite sure whether heaven is going to resign. I actually think it's going to be here. New heavens and earth coming down, descending upon this planet, making it perfect. But whenever or where that is, you and I will get to be with the Lord. That is Paul's comfort for our pain. That is Paul's hope for our grief. A recent stand-up comedy special by Jerry Seinfeld. I think he's been married about 19 years. Similar stage as uh, Sonny and I. We watched it together and we just laughed out loud when he said, marriage is two people trying to stay together without having to say the words, I hate you. We laughed. Some of you might think, oh, how cynical. But it's comical because it's true. It's true. Now, don't get too worried here. There's been plenty more days and seasons where Sonny and I have felt and said, I love you and I love being with you and I can't believe I get to be with you. Oh, there have been some days though we have felt I hate you and most of those days we have not said those words. But I get Sonny better now. Sonny gets me better now. But do you know who really fully, fully gets me? <laughs> Jesus himself. And there's going to come a day when he comes back, I'm going to get him. I'm going to really get him like never before. And that first split second, 
that first split second of the embrace or the drop of his love upon me will surpass a lifetime of love from any other. You're going to get your loved ones back. You're going to get Jesus like never before. Third, third. You're going to get to live the best life you always wanted. See, contrary to popular misconceptions, heaven is not immaterial. It's not like we're floating around. It's like a gathering of ghosts. Heaven is not a place that's just dreamy or just almost real. Look at chapter 4 and 5. As Paul has us look forward to the return of Jesus Christ. Everything about this is physical. It's all material. It's concrete. Those who are asleep right now, your bodies will be resurrected. And then when Jesus comes back, he's going to come back in his own body. Middle, Middle Eastern brown as it is. And when our bodies will be raised, that means our physical and optimal condition is going to be restored. All of our capabilities and brilliance and desires for beauties will be able to be produced. It will come out. Otherwise, this would not be the best life you always wanted. And one of the great things about this shelter-in-place time is Taylor doesn't have school, and I don't just have to be at the office. So on Monday, we had time, and we went to her first peaceful protest at Gridley Park in Cerritos. But as soon as I showed up, i got to be honest with you, I felt so out of place. I was at least twice the age of everyone there. Oh, the crowd skews so much younger now. But how impressive it is, how energized and connected the younger generation is. And I was wearing this fedora hat, and uh, it was a little hot, and it started 40 minutes late, so I wandered over to the corner underneath the tree so I can get some shade. I was there in the corner by myself. Taylor stared over a couple times, but I'm so glad she was not so embarrassed because when we ended up walking, she walked with me, and we had a really, really great talk. Do you know that in the kingdom of heaven? I'm never going to feel like that again. I can't wait. I'm never going to feel out of place. Too old, too much of this, or too less of that. We're all going to walk. I'm not going to stretch out my back anymore. We're all going to run. We're going to jump. We're going to drink. We're going to feast. We're going to laugh without corruption, without fear, without threat. And we're going to love on one another and mostly love God perfectly. (laughs) In realms and to degrees... of joy and satisfaction that we cannot possibly imagine right now. This is why in Revelation chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, the apostle John, when he saw, saw the future by revelation, he at first was grieving. It reads, And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Ah, but by Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, after it reads, God himself will be their God. God will be with his people. It says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Amen. And my friends, this is hope guaranteed. It's a hope guaranteed. The English word hope does not convey the certainty, the solidity, the strength. 
You know, the guarantee that God himself will deliver on and fulfill every single promise he's ever made for his children. How can you and I be so sure? What's the guarantee? Well, in chapter 1, verse 10, it reads, Wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Because Jesus was raised, in the future, he guarantees that he will deliver you from the wrath to come. Now look at chapter 5, verse 9 here. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Destined, destined. It's in the past tense. See, here's the guarantee. Your future is not dependent upon your past. It's dependent upon his. Your future and your past all covered somehow by Jesus Christ. Non-believing, non-religious people say, well, who knows what happens after we die? We go back to dust. The worms will infest that site. Just dust to dust. Natural. It's okay. It's painless. Extinction. Maybe a few might say, well, hopefully it might be something a little better. But if you're a religious person, all religious people hope. But here's the problem with religious hope. You're never sure. So you don't have a guarantee. How can you? You're so busy and preoccupied with trying to live a good enough life for God to love and save you on that final day. But until then, you're not sure. But the gospel, see, the good news of Jesus Christ reads like this. Chapter 5, verse 10. Jesus who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. <laughs> See, getting to live with God doesn't happen by showing or proving that you lived a good enough life. No, getting to live with God forever happens by believing that Jesus lived and died for you. You see, if you believe that Jesus took the wrath, he absorbed and exhausted the holy wrath because of your sins, my sins. He took my place. Then in the future, there cannot be any wrath left for you and for me. Only the restoration of everything we've lost. Only perfect faith, hope, and love and glory by being with God forever. You see, only in the gospel is hope guaranteed because it's based upon the grace of God, not my goodness. The gospel of Jesus Christ guarantees this hope because it's based upon God's grace, not my goodness. Let me just close with one application. A guaranteed hope produces courage. Oh, it sure does. If you're guaranteed in this hope, of what the future has in store for you, what Jesus is going to do when he comes back, you can have courage. And courage might be one of those qualities most needed today. How are you going to get it? Where do you get it? The Bible says, take heart. Do not fear. That's the most repeated, repeated command. Do not fear because we are so prone to be afraid. How do you get courage? Well, yeah, you get it from God's own word by his Holy Spirit setting that on fire and making it into a reality in your life. But that's not only where you get it. Of course, you get it from God. But read these verses. You get it from one another. 
You get it from one another. We read it twice. Look at verse 5, uh, verse 11 of chapter 5. Therefore, encourage one another. That means to embolden, breathe in, and fill you, your life with courage. That's what encouragement means. Chapter 4, verse 18, which you read before. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. With these words. You see, it's by your words that you probably most effectively breathe in courage into someone else's life. In your text messages, your messengers, your messages, your smiles, your phone calls. You know, post-Easter, I was wearied and down on myself and I get into those funks once in a while and at my home though arrived a handwritten letter I don't remember the last time I got one thank you dear brother you know who you are a handwritten letter which breathed into my heart such strength such the life and the presence of God that I so was uh, aching for So when you go around telling people, I'm proud of you. I so appreciate you. I'm blessed by what you did. I'm blown away by how how much you've grown. Thank you for being so honest. Thank you for sticking around. I love how dedicated you are. Oh, these words, what do you think they do? They encourage. And the way that Paul did it, the way he uses words, namely, it went like this. Jesus so loves you. Jesus has got your back and he's coming back for you. So my friends, please do not assume that people can be encouraged by ESP. Just reading your body language or being able to read your mind. No, use more and more. Get more fluent. Get more regular. Try to vocalize and say scriptural words sincere from your heart and see how it encourages one another because you do know God's word encourages you. And as God's words, own words encourage you, encourage one another. So often I look to and learn about hope and courage from my black brothers and sisters who follow Christ. John Lewis, congressman for the state of Georgia, shared this in his book, Walking with the Wind, a memoir of the movement about a song that has sustained him ever since he joined the civil rights movement. As a teenager off a farm in Alabama, he became a leader. He was jailed and beaten. On Bloody Sunday, his skull was actually fractured in Selma. And he says the song that was first sung by slaves, We Shall Overcome. We Shall Overcome Someday. That song, Here's how he describes its effects. It gave you a sense of faith, a sense of strength to continue to struggle, to continue to push on. And you would lose your sense of fear. You were prepared to march into hell's fire. We shall overcome. We shall overcome someday. Now the potency and the promise of that song found its way, of course, into the sermons of Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., who went on to describe that that song he used to sing hand in hand with fellow demonstrators. He used to be able to sing it with people who were thrown into jail. He could sing it hand in hand with those who had been beaten, who have lost. 
most often with tears welling up in their eyes. And what is going on when people hand in hand with one another are singing, we shall overcome? Oh, they're tasting the guaranteed future that Jesus is bringing back. Hey, if you're in need of courage, I need it every day. I need it every day as a son of God, as a husband, as a brother, as a father, as your pastor. And if you and I are anything like me and you need more boldness and courage, (laughs) find it. Find it by looking ahead. See what Jesus is going to bring back upon his return and do it while you're holding one another hand by hand, singing, praying, preaching, fellowshipping, and waiting for the return of the King, the Son of God who's been raised from death. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we thank you that you speak to us, and it's by your Spirit that makes everything you say come to pass and become an actual reality, changing lives. Oh God, we pray this day, fill us with courage. Courage to love, courage to do what is right, courage to become uncomfortable, courage to work against the evils of our day. Lord, help us to see that you're bringing everything back. You're going to make everything right. And we're going to get you like we've never gotten you before. May this give us hope. May this carry us forward. For your glory and for a grieving world, we pray. Use us in Jesus' name. Amen.